Welcome to The Jury Is Out, a podcast for trial attorneys who want to sharpen their skills and better serve their clients. Your co-hosts are John Simon, founder of The Simon Law Firm, Tim Cronin, personal injury trial attorney at The Simon Law Firm, and St. Louis attorney Eric Veith. Welcome to another episode of The Jury Is Out. I'm Eric Veith. I'm Tim Cronin. We're here again with Steve Strum. Hi, Steve. Good morning. You joined us earlier for an episode regarding nursing home cases. And now we're back because we're going to talk about defense litigation. You're with a large defense firm, Sandberg Phoenix. And uh, we discussed your firm a bit in our prior episode. But we're here to chat about how you see the world from your side of the uh, aisle. So, you know, as Eric pointed out in the last episode, Steve, we're often presenting things from the plaintiff's perspective. I mean, that's pretty much exclusively what I do. And Eric, I think that's pretty much exclusively what you've been doing right. for a long time. I know you did defense work earlier in your career. I did some of it when I was clerking in law school, but that's not quite the same. Right. So just, you know, imagine a, somebody's in law school thinking about offers they have from a plaintiff firm or defense firm. What kinds of differences from your perspective and your experience would you advise such a person? Like, here's what the atmosphere, your day-to-day -day from a high level will be different in this way. So what I tell people now, and it's been this way, you know as well as I do that so few cases actually go to trial. Yeah. And it's less and less every single year for a variety of reasons, risk, aversion, you name it. But back in the old days, the old days being even before me, trial lawyers were in trial every week. Yeah. You know, it doesn't happen. There You're, was much less discovery. People just right. like got the documents and went and tried the case. You might pick up the file that morning. Right. You know, and now if you're trying a couple of cases a year, I mean, that wind up being a lot, right? Yeah. So, you know, I tell people that if you have the ability financially to do this, this is a good thing to do if you want to be a trial lawyer. And that is get a job at the prosecutor's office, get a job at the public, uh, defender's, public office. defender's office yeah. and get yourself into the courtroom as much as you can. So you can get comfortable, right? You can get comfortable with it, but also it's going to make you very marketable to that law firm. I mean, we love looking at those people that are coming out of the prosecutor's office, criminal defense, or frankly, you know, law clerks, you know, part of the training is already done. Mm -hmm. Now, financially, it's tough. You know, people graduate and they've got these enormous bills from not just law school, but from undergrad. And they just feel like, I can't take that kind of a job in the government. I've got to go to a law firm. And I think, you know, there's some like student loan forgiveness if you work at a prosecutor's office. But don't you have to be there like 10 years? Yeah, I don't know. And I mean, you know, the average in the prosecutor's office, I think, is, you know, like two and a half years. Yeah. And public defender's office, it might be less because right. you go insane because they're so understaffed and have so many files. Yeah, that almost sounds like a training program, you know, two and a half years. It's yeah. astounding. Just when they get you where they need you, you're, you're gone your job. because you're burned out. You know, you got the experience that you want and now it's time to go make some money. Yeah. You know, and so, you know, at that point, then if we're talking about, do I go the plaintiff's route? Do I go the defense route? It really becomes a function of, okay, well, where's your mindset? Like, what do you want to do? Do you want to represent injured people? Do you want to defend those cases? You've got to get through that part of it. And then you've got to get through the part of just the work life. Now, things are changing a little bit now, but let's face it, you know, the defense firms, they make their money on billable hours. Right. You know, and so- and you have to think about that every single day, every yeah, single week. Yeah, that's right. I mean, that's where we get our money. And, you know, that's where the revenue comes from is, you know, every minute you've got to account for your time. And it's easy for some people and it's difficult for others. Yeah, I don't think I'd be able to do it, especially now having not done it right. for so long. Right. So I, I escaped the defense world where I built. And actually, the end of the day was a grind to make sure you captured all your time. 
And I thought, I'm free. I'm in the plaintiff world. And then my interest took me into class actions. Yeah. We where you have to track bill right. 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 consumer cases. Right. Where you have to bill. Right. And now civil rights where you need to bill, not to bill, but you got to account for your time. Yeah, you got to kind of claim it. Right. So I'm back into that world and it's just, you just got to do it. Well, and the opposite side, if you're thinking about the plaintiff that you have to consider is how risk averse are you? Right. Because, you know, on the defense side, you're typically getting paid for your time. You might have to deal with insurance companies trying to cut your bills, et cetera. Right. I imagine it's right. something you have to deal with all the time. But on the plaintiff side, you have to deal with, well, you might work a couple hundred hours, 500 hours on a case and lose, which means you not only don't get paid for your time, you're eating the expenses. So a lot of it has to do with, you know, how much risk you're willing to deal with. How much risk? And then, of course, you have all the other factors of, do I want to be on a partnership track? You know, do I want to own a piece of the firm? Mm -hmm. Do I want to have my name on the door? And the passion of, do I want to help injured people or do I want to help the companies? Um, I, I say this as I'm a mediator also. You know, if you're on the plaintiff's side or if you're the plaintiff, it tends to be an emotional decision versus the clients on the defense side. It's a business decision. Yeah. It's solely a business decision. It's what is the risk of this case? What's the downside risk of a verdict? What's the percentage chance of that? What can I get this case settled for? That's yeah. all it's about. You know, and I hate to say that, but that's what I deal with on the defense side. It's not emotional. It's a business decision. Well, and then we're often trying to advise our clients if we're in a mediation, that's how we need to think of it today too. That's how they right. have to think because of it. Because that's the way they're thinking of it. Because it's how they have to think of it. Right. Not that they're, you know, heartless and don't care about what you went through, but that's what they have to think of it as. Right. And so today we need to think of it that way. What is your risk where if they've offered an amount, it's not worth the risk to go forward, turn that down and lose everything. You're dealing with plaintiffs that lost a loved one and there's an offer of $50,000 and you have to explain to them, they're not telling you that your child, your parent, your spouse's life was only worth $50,000. They think they're going to win. They're thinking, <laughs> you know, this yeah. is right, that they're going to win and that's what it's about. We also, you know, we don't have a lot of repeat clients. Right. Well, hopefully. I right. hope usually when I'm dealing with right. trying to help somebody, something else doesn't happen where I'm representing them again. Right. And so, you know, how we get clients and our considerations when we're handling those clients is different. Can you tell us a little bit about the politics of getting and keeping clients? Because often you're working for a set number of clients that is the same ones you're dealing with on most of your cases over and that's over correct. again. That's correct. Right, right. Yeah, and that's a big difference because I don't have to go out and try to get new business unless I'm losing clients, which I'm not. Yeah, you're just trying to keep your clients. Trying, yeah, right, right. Yeah. So, you know, obviously it goes without saying that results are important, whether they're trial results or their settlement results. The clients, as much as they love you, they want good results. And yeah. whether the advice you gave them before those results was good, I imagine. Correct, correct. You want to be accurate in your advice. You want to be reporting under their guidelines. You want to return phone calls as promptly as possible. These are things that are real pet peeves for me. I tell my people, and I've got 20 lawyers that work on my cases. My preference is, is that you return all phone calls or respond to all emails before your head hits the pillow that day. Not everybody likes it that way. Not everybody does it that way, but that is a big pet peeve of mine. You know, when I get new clients that have discharged their other law firms, the two most frequent things I hear is they weren't responsive to my needs. And yet when I looked at the bills, 
that appeared to be very responsive to my needs because the bills were too much. Yeah. So I want to make sure that that doesn't happen. So my phone is with me 24-7 anywhere in the world that I am. I've seen it from both sides a lot as plaintiff and defense attorney. And the advantage of being on the defense side is usually your conversations are pretty quick in terms of getting to it. You know, you don't have to be a social worker, which as a plaintiff attorney, That's I think true. you got to put that social worker cap yep. on and do a lot of reassuring and that kind of thing. You know, like you say, it's more of a business world where these people are savvy. Usually they know the drill. You're dealing with risk before. managers and adjusters and right. This is what they do. But the difference, the flip side difference is, is that you don't have to do written reports as much as I do. Uh, never. Right. 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 Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Right. So that's the flip side. So you might spend a lot of time on the phone with these people, which frankly, I enjoy talking to people, but then you don't have to do this long quarterly status report to those people. I may have a short conversation with them on the phone because they've got 200 other files to deal with, but then I got to do this 30-page report. Yeah, I'd rather talk to somebody on right. the phone than write a report after every depot when there's already going to be a transcript of the depot. Correct, <laughs> correct. But, you know, I tell people all the time, you know, the lawyers in my office, you need to make the client look good because they all have a boss. Yeah. You know, they all have somebody at least one level and a lot of times more than one level that they've got to report to. I mean, they're to. worried about their job too. Correct. Whereas we're dealing directly with the one and only person typically. Right. I mean, there might be, you know, a spouse or other family members, depending right. on it's a death case or whatever, but we're talking directly to the only person we need to talk to and right. explain things to. Right. I have a question I don't want to limit to your firm, but just I assume you know a lot about a lot of defense firms and how they handle the training process for young attorneys. And whether or not you had that prior experience at the prosecutor's office or public defender, you come in and as a younger attorney and you want some good experience. I'm thinking back to when I was first an attorney. Now, this is ages ago where I was there for a week at the firm. It was a defense firm. They had 50 attorneys. Within a week, they said, okay, you're taking your first deposition. Yeah. And yeah. on the defense side, Sometimes, if it was a big enough case, you'd have the attorney coming in for the defense firm, sitting next to the attorney was an associate attorney, and sitting next to the associate attorney was a paralegal or maybe another attorney. And it's obvious when you're looking at that, you're thinking, I don't know if I'll ever actually get to take a deposition. How will I get to be a lawyer? So yeah, how is it now? It's not that way because, you know, predominantly because that's expensive. We have a program, at least at our firm, where we want the young lawyers to be there. If I have to take a deposition of an expert, I want to have that person there. We may not build a client for it, but that's where they learn is to see the person. Or if it's at a mediation, a lot of times clients will say, I'm not paying for multiple lawyers at a mediation. But I always like to have somebody there for two reasons. One is to help teach them. But also, you know, I have 200 files and I have 20 people working on them and I can't memorize every single case. So I tell my clients, look, that's fine. You're not going to pay for that lawyer to be there. I want them there because they know all the nuances of this case that I don't know. And I want them to be there to help you get this case for the right number. Does it usually work? It works 100% of the time. Yeah. I mean, okay. why would they, if they're not yeah, paying there's for no, it? Yeah, there's no downside for them. Because oh, I'm getting free work. Oh, right. oh, they, oh, so they're yeah. not paying for both attorneys. No. Now, I have some clients that will say that's a great idea and we're happy to pay for a second lawyer to be there. But that's kind of few and far between. And I'm fine with that. I want what's best for the client, not what's best for me or for my law firm. But now getting back to where you were, 
Because there's so few cases that are going to trial, there's also the internal battle. I'm not saying this is at my firm, but I see it at some firms between who's going to get the experience. There are circumstances where the lawyer that might be my age or close to my age wants all those depositions. They don't want to give it to the other person because they want to do it. And so there's that internal battle of, well, who's going to get to do the work? When the client might say, I hired you, you're the top person. I want you doing it. I want you to do it. And it depends on the deposition as well. Right. Because they're also looking at, I want you to do it, but I know that the hourly rate for you is higher. Yeah. And if I send the associate in there or the senior associate in there, it's a lower hourly rate. And to get fully up to speed, which the senior associate already is, I'm not only going to pay you a higher rate, I'm going to pay you an extra five hours to prep. That's right. Do you have both clients that are insured and you're dealing with the insurance company regarding decisions and bills as opposed to like self-insured corporate clients? And if so, what kind of differences from a high level do you have to deal with? Among my client group, very little of it in terms of the numbers of clients are insurance clients. I mean, there's probably only two major insurance companies that I deal with. Most of my other work is for the uninsured whether it's in the automobile world where I represent manufacturers or frankly, there's a lot of nursing homes that don't have insurance and I have to, you know, represent them. Yeah. I mean, it can be a little bit more of a battlefield in billing and getting paid when you're dealing with insurance versus non-insurance. That's just the way it is because there's just so many levels of bill review and things like that. Most of them have gone to electronic billing, which is great because they don't have to rely on the mail system. It also makes payment quick too. I mean, mm-hmm. they get an e-bill on Monday, we may get paid on a Friday. You know, you're dealing with rate difference. Most non-insurance clients, the hourly rate is higher, but that's not where I make my decisions on whether I'm going to take it or not. Is there much of a difference? I guess it just depends on the company or the insurance company. Is there a general difference between how much feedback and follow-up and how close attention like a, you know, a general counsel or a risk manager for just a corporate client pays to a case as opposed to if it's an insurance company? Generally, claims agents with insurance companies have a really high caseload. You know, they can have, it's not unheard of for one to have 200 cases to deal with versus maybe, you know, one of my automotive clients, you know, might have 20 cases. So for the insurance client, you know, they want to make sure you're submitting your reports and getting them the stuff they want in, but you might not hear from them as often. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You'll hear from them if you don't get the report in on time, by the way. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm sure that'll be flagged on their inbox when they turn on their computer that morning. You know, a lot of times I get up at five or six in the morning and by then I have some East Coast clients. They've already sent me their emails for the day. I mean, I have to respond immediately. So one obvious difference between the plaintiff side and the defense side is we get to pick what cases we want to work on, unless we get assigned by a federal court to like a prisoner case, in which case we don't get to pick, but that's rare. And on the defense side, I imagine you can get assigned by You can. I haven't sometimes. been assigned a federal court case in probably 30 years. I have one now that I'm dealing with. So Criminal we'll or civil? It is a civil like failure to provide medical treatment to a prisoner case. Yeah. But by and large, we get to pick what cases we work on. Right. And I probably reject 99% of the cases I look at. And by the time it comes across your desk- You're rejecting them for different reasons. Yeah, for different reasons. <laughs> by the time it comes across your desk, I already know a lot about the case. I've decided why I think it's worth pursuing on behalf of that client. Whereas on your end, you get a case, you're working on it. 
you usually find that out when we filed it. And no matter how strong or weak you think the case is, you're doing everything you can for your client to defend it, whether that's, we need to get this resolved quickly, it's in your best interest, or we need to fight it. What do you do when a first case first comes into your office? Let's say I filed a nursing home case against one of your major clients. They send it to you. Do you like have a weekly meeting you have with your associates and junior partners where you talk about all new cases or how do you kind of initial strategy set? And, and if you could describe your team as part yeah. of that answer. Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. Well, and one of the things I thought you were going to go to is sort of the emotional part of it of I essentially, you know, have to work on every case that my clients have. You know, I yeah. mean, I'll talk about it. I'll come home. I've always talked with my family about my cases. My kids are 20 and 22. They love it. You know, there's great stories and all that stuff. But every once in a while, even at this age. Why are you defending that? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Why, did you, why did you take that case, yeah. Dad? Uh, I didn't. And I have I, to. I, right. I was like, well, um, do you want to still go to school? Do you, you, know, do you want the right. bills to get paid? Do you want that new iPhone? I mean, that's, you know, you have to. When you have a client, you got to take their cases, whether you like it or not. Yeah. And there's some that aren't so pretty. And there's some. But anyway, my team, I'll, I'll start with that. So there's about six on my specific team, six lawyers. And then each of them has their own paralegal. Depending upon the client, you know, because then I have different teams for different clients. These two lawyers do it for this one, these two for that one. We'll assign it out, assuming the lawyer's available, because I never assign cases to people. They say, I don't have the time to do it. It's the last thing I want. It's the last thing the client wants. We'll get the case assigned out, and then we'll immediately start digging into it and talk about it from the get-go. What is this case about? What does the petition slash complaint say? What do we know about the nursing home itself? Because a lot of times at this point, if it's cases around here, we know the nursing home. We've had cases with them or claims with them before. What do we know? What do we need right now? Do we have the chart? Typically, we don't have the chart right away. We get the chart right away and we just start getting into it right away. My view on cases, regardless of nursing or not, is they're not like fine wine. They don't get better over time. You got to get into it right away. And the clients want that, you know, whether it's an insurance company, even non-insurance, they've got to set reserves. And in order to set reserves, they got to know what they're dealing with. And so most clients want a ballpark evaluation within 30 days of the assignment. That's tough. That requires us to get on top of it right away. And yeah, you've got it. And you might, you know, as the plaintiff's lawyer, not only have you had a chance to spend as much time as you want on it. I've already had it reviewed by an expert. You've already had it reviewed by an expert. You already have the medical records. And you might have actually gone out and got statements from people too. Yeah. So a lot of times we're really in last place on these things. I mean, I've had circumstances where it looked like we were just dead because they already went out. They got statements from people because they're former employees. we got to figure out, okay, how are we going to deal with this? A lot of the plaintiffs, well, probably the vast majority of them, unless you're dealing with the death case with younger family members, maybe not as much as other cases are on the internet, but what kind of, and when do you like get on the internet and do like social media searches to check into plaintiffs? Is that something you guys do right off the bat or it depends on who it is if you think there'll even be something out there? Right off the bat. It's amazing what people say on social media and that they do not have their stuff secured. It is a conversation that I try to remember to have at the initial client meeting. Oh, well, every I know, single one of my cases. Well, I know plaintiff's lawyers that say the first thing they say to them is if you're on Facebook, if you're on Instagram, if you're on whatever you're on, make sure it's set to private. Secure it. 
don't talk about this right and online or with anyone anyway yeah and, sometimes and they don't listen to they you. don't know they don't listen to you they and don't. so we get a lot of i mean i could tell story after story of stuff that we've gotten off of social media that has helped with our cases yeah because people just love to live their lives on social media and they don't understand how it's negatively affecting them until they see it negatively affect them that until they sit down for their depot and right and when you start oh, putting really? stuff in front of them <laughs> yeah I told you that story, and uh, it was an eye-opener for the plaintiff's lawyer when he's learning of all the things that this particular plaintiff said on social media that really, really cut against the case. I'd like to circle back to the team and how you coordinate, because that's a lot of people. I know the work is tough. You've got six attorneys, six paralegals. Can you describe the logistics of how you keep this going? Do you do it by a lot of email? Do you have like a Slack channel? Do you have meetings, real meetings where you come into conference rooms? How do you keep the thing going? Well, I mean, you know, with uh, post-pandemic and pandemic, I mean, a lot of stuff obviously is done electronically or, you know, through Zoom meetings. But the hardest part, to be honest with you, is the training, you know, to train people to become nursing home litigators. But that's the hardest part of the job because it's not medical malpractice. And there's lots of things to learn. But once they got them to that level or they got themselves to that level, they know where we need to go. So I can sit down and have a five minute meeting with, you know, a young partner or a senior associate on a case and they know what I want and they know where to go. It really is kind of a seamless operation. Now, when you're bringing new people on the team, they don't understand nursing home litigation. Obviously, there's a timeline of having to train them. But those who know it, they know what I want. They know what they need to do. Now we're back to that earlier topic. A lot of times you guys get to harvest the trained people that were trained by the prosecutor's office or the public defender. Now you got you worked on a young attorney. You got them where they need to be. They might become an attractive proposition for some other defense firm or plaintiff firm. How do you keep good people? You know, that has become a real challenging time. And I'll tell you why. We've got a lot of East Coast and West Coast firms that are landing in St. Louis with offices, and they're able to pay East Coast and West Coast wages that we just can't compete with. So when you've got people that are really only looking for where can I maximize my dollars, it becomes a problem. I mean, a big part of it is relationships. I have always treated my staff, my lawyers as a family. They are my family and I treat them with respect. I don't yell, I don't scream, I don't cuss. I understand they're going to make mistakes. And when they make the mistakes, it bothers them more than it bothers me because I tell them, I'll tell you what I tell my kids, which is we learn from mistakes. And I can tell you the stories of all the mistakes that I've made. Now, if they make the same mistake over and over, that's a whole different world. But it's relationships. It's that bond. And, you know, not to get too far afield, but that becomes more of a challenge in the post-pandemic world of building those relationships when you're not in the same room with them. You're not even in the same building with them. But I love every single person that I work with. I care about every single one of them. If they've got something going on with their kids or their parents or loved ones, I want to know about it you know, because that's important to me. It's not just strictly business for me. Has that been my recipe? I don't know. But thankfully, I don't have a lot of turnover. So back in my early days at a- We do with Abe Lincoln. I, I carried his briefcase. <laughs> it was a firm with about 50 attorneys, insurance defense firm. Dress code was big back then. This is my uh, 
introduction to defense firm culture, how it might differ from plaintiff. So I rebelled against that. I didn't like it. I was told you and me I'm both. not playing the game right. I right. was told to wear suit more often while I sat in my office for eight hours. That's all I was going to right. do. There's no planned meeting of any sort. But, but you had you a tie never, on. You never know. Yeah. Right. Not never know a, when you're going to get called to court. That's right. But I also grew a beard, and I was told that the recently deceased partner would have been rolling in his grave if he saw that I had facial hair. Beard. Yeah. How would you describe current day big corporate defense firm culture? Is it still show up in a you know a suit every day? Or? Changed dramatically. I was with you, Eric. I, I bucked the trend when I started in 1988, and I got into uh, I wouldn't say I got into trouble. There are certain lawyers that I won't say that didn't like it, and my feeling is I want to be comfortable. You know, I'm going to work hard and I'm going to work long hours, but I also want to be comfortable. And that whole trend in the defense world of dress code really changed not that long ago. I would say certainly in the last 10 years, the firm started going to, you know, Friday casual day. And then, of course, once the pandemic hit, then it's like, you know, you come to work in shorts. I'm joking, but it's changed dramatically. But I, I, yeah, I mean, those days of, well, you never know we're going to get called to court, you know? So then I would say, okay, well, then I'll just- Keep a suit in your office. I'll keep a coat, <laughs> a suit coat yeah. and a tie on the back of my door. And if something happens, then that's what But I became virtual 15 years ago. So I'm always bucking the trend. And I jokingly said when the pandemic hit and my manager called me almost in tears thinking, oh my gosh, how are we going to do this? And I just said, welcome to my world. <laughs> It works. It'll be fine. I think, you know, yes, there are some lawyers out there that are probably rolling in their graves when they see people wearing, you know, jeans and no tie to work. And, you know, something has changed. Thank you for joining us for this second episode. This has been a, a good journey through your world. Just to remind listeners, we visited with you the prior episode about nursing home cases. Enjoyed them both. Thank you again for joining us. Thanks, Steve. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. This has been another episode of The Jury Is Out. I'm Eric Veith. And I'm Tim Cronin. Join us next time. The Jury Is Out is brought to you by The Simon Law Firm. Share your thoughts with John, Tim, and Eric at comments at thejuryisout.law. And if you want a lively look at life and law from a female attorney's point of view, check out our Heels in the Courtroom podcast. Subscribe today because the best lawyers never stop learning.